Amen. Please turn with me to Galatians chapter 5. A few years ago, I, I had a flat tire, so I took my uh, truck in to get my, my tire fixed. And um, as soon as I walked in the lobby, my, my chest started feeling really tense and tight because there were about seven people in line in front of me. And I thought, oh, you know, this is going to take forever. And I had a lot to get done that day. And, you know, so I'm waiting and waiting, waiting in line. Finally, I get up the front. I said, oh, I just have a flat tire. That's, that's, all, that's all I need. And, you know, and the guy goes, Great, well, let's go have a look at it. He goes, yeah, you know, we can repair that quick. We'll get you out of here really quick. I go, great, well, I'll just wait. You know, so I sat there in uh, the lobby and I waited about 30 minutes. And, you know, then I got up and I went and I looked in in the window and my tire was still sitting there, right? They hadn't hadn't moved at all. And I went and sat down for a little while longer. And 30 minutes later, I went and looked again. There's my tire. It's still sitting there. It hadn't moved at all. And 30 minutes later, I went again. And my, you know, nothing had changed, nothing at all. So finally, I called somebody here at the office and had them come get me because I, I said, you know, if I don't leave, I'll just explode, right? I mean, I just, I just felt so very impatient and frustrated. I didn't want to feel patient, impatient. I wanted to be patient. I wanted to be at peace and no anxiety, but I really couldn't find that anywhere in myself. And, you know, if I'm honest, patience isn't my only issue. Uh, that I wrestle with. I don't know if you guys have ever sensed that as well. You, you want to be different. You need to be different. You, you hope for a different kind of knee-jerk natural response to these circumstances in life, and yet it seems like it's the same response over and, you know, over and over again, right? Have you ever been in that situation where there's a stressful event and, and you want to respond in trust and confidence, but instead you just feel everything tightening up inside? Or maybe... There's a moment in which you, you should be brave, but you're not brave. You feel fearful. Maybe it's an opportunity to actually speak for Jesus Christ, and then your mind spins up all kinds of reasons why these people actually just need to see your life for the next 17 years, right? <laughs> I mean, you know, or, or you, you get discouraged by life. It could be uh, a job setback or a relational setback or school setback, and uh, you, your mind tells you God's in control, God's sovereign, and you want to be hopeful and confident and trust but instead you feel beat down and and discouraged. There have been sinful when you really should have been holy. Same temptation, same response of sin. Even though you promised God and you promised yourself something different, you you want to be different, you need to be different. But it seems like uh, just that natural response is, it's always the same. And you say to yourself, well, I guess that's me. Can I change? The answer is yes. We can change. We can be different people. God, God promises us that. That's what the doctrine of sanctification is really all about. It's our, our last session on big ideas of Scripture for the summer, and really one of the most important ones. I would argue one of the, the ones that's uh, most on our minds. If you go to a Christian bookstore, you will see more written on the doctrine of sanctification than any other topic. Because we want to be changed. We want to be different people. So as we begin, uh, let me offer some definitions. Let's define some terms. When we talk about sanctification, what do we mean? Well, the word in Old Testament Hebrew or New Testament Greek uh, it has the same essential meaning, whether it's kadosh in Hebrew or hagias in Greek. It means something that is set apart. It's something that is, that is really special in a sense. When I was a little kid, I had uh, what I called as a child, I called it my little collection of little things. Right? There was just these little things. They had a special shelf uh, and uh, I didn't want anyone touching them, and they didn't necessarily have any intrinsic value. These were things that were important to me, so I set them apart 
for myself and for no one else. I had a, a little ceramic uh, monkey, and I had uh, my favorite matchbox car, and I had a, a baseball, and I had a, a cowboy, plastic cowboy who was on a horse. And again, you know, th- not, these things weren't necessarily really valuable to anybody else, but they were important to me. So even when my mom would come in, you know, if she happened to be dusting and she bumped them, I, I, I knew. I knew they'd been moved. My like, mom, you moved my collection of little things. You know, I, I was that kid, right? <laughs> don't, don't, don't rearrange my stuff, right? Because it's special to me. The essence of sanctification is you are special to God. The God has set you apart for himself. And he says, hands off. This one belongs to me. That's at the root of the idea of sanctification. Now, In biblical terms, there are at least three different aspects of sanctification. The first is positional, that God declares the moment that you believe that you're set apart for him. He has set you apart for himself. It's not necessarily something that you feel any different or that you act any differently. It's just a declaration by God, this one belongs to me. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10. The author said, by this will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. You have been sanctified. This is positional. This is God's declaration. It doesn't mean your behavior's changed or your attitudes have changed. It just means God has said, special. For me. Hands off. Paul reiterates the same idea in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He wrote to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who have been sanctified in Christ Jesus, saints by calling. He actually uses the word hagias twice. So those who have been sanctified, holy ones, saints, same root word, right? Normally when we think of saints, we think of, what we mean, we think of people that glow, right? They, They do really special godly things. And yet here's Paul and he's writing to which church? The church in Corinth, right? And he says, you're saints. You don't always behave like saints, But positionally, you have been set apart unto God. The second aspect of sanctification is ultimate sanctification, which is essentially synonymous with glorification. That is, someday, we're told in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, we will be caught up and we will be with Jesus, see him face to face, and we will be transformed ultimately and finally into the image of Christ. No no more flesh, no more temptation, no more sin, body glorified, inner man, spirit glorified, everything united with Christ. John describes this in 1 John chapter 3. Beloved, right now we are children of God. And it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And when we see him just as he is, in a moment, we will be transformed into exactly the same image. That's Ultimate glorification, or ultimate sanctification. But normally when we talk about sanctification, we're talking about progressive sanctification. In other words, what's happening in our lives right now, little by little, is God is transforming our character and making us more into the image of Christ. Peter says in 2 Peter 3, 18, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You need to grow You should grow. You're not where you should be, but you can be. You can be changed. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I would define sanctification then this way. It is the process 
of our natural reactions, reactions, responses, feelings, thoughts, and affections being transformed into something that imitates what Jesus would do or feel or think in similar situations. In other words, you're in the middle of, of, a, of a new circumstance and you just react, right? You just, you just react. And sometimes those reactions aren't really very good. And you'd love for them to be transformed. Well, that's what God can and is doing in your life. He's changing those natural reactions into something that looks a little bit more like Jesus. Day by day, how Jesus would respond, what Jesus would think, what Jesus would feel in that same setting. That's what sanctification really means. Now, when I was a kid, um, we, we never wore seatbelts. Right? Those of you who are my generation understand me. We, they, I'd never seen, you know, no, no cars had a shoulder harness, right? They all had just the lap belts, and the lap belts were tucked at, back down behind the seat. So you, you never wore a seat belt. And say, when you were a little kid, it was awesome because you'd stand in the front seat next to mom or dad with your arm around their neck. It was, it was great, right? So if you're on road trips, man, you're just moving around, right? You could get on the floor, play games. You could climb from the back seat to the front seat. I mean, now we can't imagine it. It's like, oh, the horror, right? But back then... It was great. And we knew that we were safe. Because if traffic conditions got bad, we had mom, right? I mean, there was such power in that arm. I mean, it could stop the momentum of a flying child. No child will ever fly through a windshield. Just, there's mom, right? I feel for you who are younger, you've never experienced the strength of mom. Just like, boom, right? Boom, you're safe. Bill Bright tells a story about this. There's a little boy, he's riding along in the car, he's got his arm around mom, traffic gets a little hairy, and mom says, you need to sit down. He says, no. So you need to sit down, you need to sit down right now. He says, no. Finally, mom just reaches over and she's pulled her son down into a seat, and when they stopped at the stoplight, she looked down, and he's got this scowl on his face, and he said, I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. (laughs) That's not sanctification, okay? (laughs) Sanctification isn't just sitting down on the outside. It's sitting down on the inside, right? And maybe you have actually, in a sense, metaphorically said that to God before. I may be sitting down on the outside, but I'm standing up on the inside. Sanctification is a transformation of the inside that's reflected on the outside. It's a change of heart. Remember when Jesus was asked to summarize the law, which was a a list of hundreds of rules. Summarize the law. Jesus, what's most important in the law? He said, let me make it really simple for you. I will summarize all of these rules in terms of relationships. Because relationships are matters of the heart, and what God really cares about is the heart. So he said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Wow. It's that simple? St. Augustine, right? St. Augustine, who didn't always also behave like a saint, but St. Augustine, he said, love God and do what you want. Love God and do what you want. Because if you love God, then you're going to begin to love the things that God loves, and so you will begin to do the things that God would do. So love God and do what you want. Where Jesus went on and he said, there's another commandment that really helps summarize it, and it's this. Love your neighbor as yourself, and your neighbor might actually be your enemy, And he might curse you and do all kinds of evil against you. So go ahead and love him. Do good for him. Bless him. You know what? You cannot do that. It's impossible to do that unless your heart is transformed 
by the Spirit of God. You might, through your willpower, try to act lovingly toward your enemy, but you cannot love your enemy unless your heart is changed. And ultimately, that's what sanctification is all about. And maybe you say, oh my gosh, that sounds so hard. That sounds impossible. Why bother, right? Well, we've got eternal life. That's a free gift. So why enter into this battle of constantly working to see God transform my character? Why not just let it go? Be who I am. I'm good enough. I've got eternal life, right? What's the value? What's the value of sanctification? Well, let's talk for just a a moment briefly. What's the value for us? I want you to turn to Galatians, if you're not there already, Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. Galatians 5 verse 22. Paul says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Wouldn't it be great if all those things were always going on inside of us, right? You know, somebody, somebody slights us or they, they cut on us. And rather than a natural reaction being to come up with a cut that we can bring back, even if we hold it back outside but we think it in our minds, how, wouldn't it be so much better if inside what actually occurs is we, we long to forgive we think, gosh, I wonder what's going on inside that person's heart that they would speak like that to me. God, help them. And we turn around and we serve them and we bless them and we act kindly toward them. In other words, our natural reaction becomes not one of anger or hate or a heart that's unwilling to forgive, but one that is loving and joyful and kind and peaceful. Wouldn't that be a wonderful way to live all, all the time? Another story for you about a little boy. He was, um, this is not me, it's somebody else. Um, he was, uh, whenever he'd get in trouble, his parents would send him to his room, and uh, he wouldn't stay in his room, right? He'd be sent to his room, but he would open up the window, he'd climb out on the roof, and there was a fruit tree right next to his, right next to the roof right there, so he'd climb down, he'd go to his friend's house for a little while, then he'd climb back up, climb in his room. Right? And he did this for a long time, right? thinking, obviously, his parents never knew, right? <laughs> he did it over and over again. Finally, one day, his dad said, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to, I'm going to cut down the, the fruit tree because it hasn't borne any fruit in, in years, so I'm just going to cut it down. So that evening, uh, this little boy uh, went and he got his friend and they collected a bunch of apples off another, another tree and they went and they took strings and they tied apples all over, all over this fruit tree. So in the morning, his dad went outside and he looked up and he saw all of the apples on the fruit tree and he's like, wow, that's really amazing. He calls his wife out and he says, look at this. You know, a tree has not borne any fruit uh, for years and here it is overnight. Uh, we have apples, and you know what's most amazing is it's a pear tree. <laughs> so uh, my, my point is this. Um, the fruit in your life eventually will show up. In a sense, you, you'll get caught. Right? If, it's, if it's just pretend and the heart has not been transformed, it'll show. Right? It will show. H- how wonderful to live with our behavior not as a show, but our behavior as just a reflection of what's genuinely happening deep in our hearts. That's the right way to live. That's a good way to live. There's also value for those who are around us. Look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 9. Let us not lose heart in doing good, 
For in due time we, we will reap if we do not grow weary. So then, while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Do good. Why? Well, it's, it's the heart that loves God will in turn eventually love those around us who are in need. And they will be blessed. This past summer, Ben went to Worldview Academy. And uh, if, if you've never heard of Worldview Academy, it was awesome. He had a, an absolutely wonderful time. It was a great experience. And they host these camps all around the U.S. The one in Texas was hosted at Letourneau University. So uh, this is just kind of how I am. It's at Letourneau University. I decided I'll do some research on Letourneau because that's how I entertain myself. So I did a little research on um, Letourneau University and their founder because I'd heard that R.G. Letourneau was a pretty remarkable man. And so this is what I discovered. I, I discovered he was an inventor. And he had, by the time he died, he had 300 patents to his name. He was most famous for his, uh, his inventions in earth-moving equipment. During World War II, 70% of the earth-moving equipment that was used by the Allies was invented and produced by R.G. Letourneau. So he was a really brilliant man. He was a very wealthy man. And by the end of his life, he was giving away 90% of his salary and living on 10%. And the reason that he was so generous is because he loved Jesus. Uh, during, between services, Ford Madison came up to me and he said at a board meeting, they had R.G. Letourneau at Dallas Seminary, they had R.G. Letourneau come in and speak. And uh, he said, he was really, he was a, in person too, just a remarkable man. And uh, R.G. said to this group, he said, you know, what I do is I, I scoop things out of the earth and then God comes back along and he fills them up and God has a bigger scoop than I have. He said, God just gives and he gives and he gives to me. So I just give and I give and I give. Why? Because God's given to me and I can bless. Well, that's, that's a heart that's transformed. It's not, it's not coercion, giving money or time or, or your talents and sharing those things with others. It's just the overflow of a heart that feels so richly blessed. Third, there's value for God. Hebrews chapter 13, through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. And do not neglect doing good and sharing for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. What pleases the heart of God? Well, when we we sing and we worship, we're engaged and and we're we're lifting up to God and declaring, God, we we know, we know how great you are. You're you're great because, because you've designed all things and created all things and you're powerful and you're kind and you're good and he loves that. That pleases his heart. It also pleases his heart when we're so changed that we want to just turn around and give and give and give to others. Can you imagine that? You, you bringing a smile to the very face of God? Well, it's true. It's true. You can please the heart of God. First Timothy 4. Godliness or sanctification or maturity is profitable for all things since it holds promise for the present life but also for the life to come. It's good for you. It's good forever for you. It's good for God. It's good for those around you. So how does it work? What's the process of sanctification? I want you to turn with me to Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Now, as I said, uh, there's more written on sanctification than any other Christian topic. So uh, we have about 20 minutes left. I'm going I'm to try and summarize all of that in, in about... 20 minutes. Obviously, I can't say everything. So if you walk away with with two ideas, it's this. The first is sanctification is the work of God. And second, sanctification requires your cooperation. 
You you can't change yourself and God won't change you apart from you. He won't coerce you. But you can't change yourself. It starts with God. Sanctification is the work of God and you have to cooperate with what God is doing. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more so in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is a great summary of sanctification. Obviously, Paul is not here talking about justification because justification is by grace through faith apart from your works, right? To the one who does not work but believes. If he were talking about justification, you'd have a hopeless contradiction in the theology of the Apostle Paul. But he's not. He's talking about this process through which God transforms you. And he says this, you can be changed. And the reason you know you can be changed is because God is the one who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Or a better translation would be both to desire and to do his good pleasure. In other words, God is the one working in you both to stir up a longing to be changed and the power to be changed. God is at work in you. So now, apply yourself with all diligence in cooperating with what God is doing. Okay, first point, sanctification is the work of God. You can't change yourself. Only God can change you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. The spiritual life is driven by the Spirit of God. Your spiritual transformation is driven by God's Holy Spirit. You can't change yourself. And that doesn't mean that you can't, in a sense, do some good things. Because even there are people who who reject God who do good things, right? They, They go and they feed the poor or they get clean water for the poor or they educate people who are in need, right? There are people who reject God who still give and give and give financially and give of their time and give of their talents, but you can't please God apart from God, right? You can't, you can't please God apart from God. Can you do some good things? Yes, but essentially what does God want from you? He wants you to come in humility and acknowledge first and foremost that all the things that are eternal and lasting are a product of the power of God in your life, not your own strength. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For the one who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. And maybe this morning... Some of you, maybe you walked in and, and what you're hearing from me is, okay, I'm getting a, I'm getting a talk. It's, it's like a TED talk on self-help, right? And I'm going to get some tips on some self-improvement ideas. I'm telling you, that's not what, I'm, that's not what we're going for here. Right, you can go to Barnes & Noble and there will be shelves upon shelves about how you can be a, a better manager and a better leader and a better, better spouse. And you can do all these things better. I'm not talking about doing some things in life better. What I'm talking about is God changing you from the inside, changing your character, changing your natural responses to be like God. And only God can do that. And the starting point for you may be this morning that you humble yourself before God and say, God, I can't. The changes that need to be made in my life, I cannot do. 
And so, God, I'm begging you. I'm humbling myself before you, and I'm saying, you are free to act, God, in any way and every way in my life to change me and make me and mold me into the image of Jesus Christ. And maybe that first step for you is coming in humility and saying, God, I, don't, I can't even remove that debt of sin. I know that I've harmed others and hurt others, and there's a debt to be paid for that. Jesus paid for that. Please, Father, forgive me in Jesus. The moment that you do that, God's Spirit indwells you and will never leave you and begins that process of making you like Jesus Christ. That is sanctification. But I would argue it starts with humility. Isaiah 66, verse 2. But to this one I will look to him who is humble and contrite of spirit and who trembles at my word. This is, in a sense, people, the starting point of sanctification. We acknowledge, God, this is up to you. This is up to you. I cannot change myself in the ways I need to be changed unless you act. Read with me again, Philippians 2, verse 12. So then, my beloved, just as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in your absence, in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Do you, do you see the dynamic? God is working. And you have to cooperate. God is working and you have to make yourself accessible to God's transformation. Notice how Paul says it in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Notice he, he, he gives two imperatives, right? These are commands. This means there's something here for you to obey. It's a command. Don't be conformed. It's, it's, a, it's a command, but it's in the passive voice. In other words, uh, J.B. Phillips translates this, uh, don't let the world squeeze you into its mold. That is, don't make yourself accessible to the world's transforming power. Make yourself accessible to God's transforming power. Can you change yourself? No. Then it would say, transform yourself by the renewing of your mind. It says, be transformed by God. Make yourself accessible to God's transforming power. So how do you do that? That's kind of the the question that we're always asking ourselves, right? I want you to turn with me, Romans chapter 6. Let me give you three thoughts this morning. Romans chapter 6, verse 8. Paul says, now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Romans 6 starts Paul's section on sanctification. And he says the starting point for your sanctification is this. You need to know who you are. When Christ died, since you believe in him, God sees you in Christ. His death is your death. It's on your behalf, and God also sees you as dying with him. Dead to sin, because you are identified with Jesus Christ. The first step is this. Know yourself. Who are you? The most important thing in a sense about your identity is the fact that you are in Christ. So he says, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Because we know that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death that he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life that he lives, he lives to God. Even so, consider yourselves to be dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Paul says this, look, God identifies you with the death of Christ and his burial, but he also identifies you with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, consider yourselves dead to sin. Why? Because Jesus is dead to sin. Jesus died to sin once and for all. Sin now has no mastery over him. He does not have to say yes to sin. 
He does not have to fear the power of sin or the power of death. And because you are identified with Christ, nor do you. So, verse 12, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lusts. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as weapons of unrighteousness. But present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. And your members as weapons of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you because you are not under law but under grace. Paul says, look, consider this to be true. You are identified with the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Therefore, you can say no to sin. And you can say yes to God. So present yourself to God, or as we've been saying, make yourself available to the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. Present yourself to God. Why? Because you can. Even in those moments where it feels like you can't. Because you've made some sinful choices, and then you made more of those sinful choices, and you've reinforced those, and you've built habits into your life where the natural response is, is it's sin. And it feels so natural that you wonder, can I ever change? Because every time that situation comes up, I respond the same way. But you know what? God is about changing that natural response into something that conforms to the image of Christ. And it begins with you understanding who are you? You are in Christ. And because you are in Christ, you always have a choice. It's part of what it means to be made in the image of God. You have choice and there's power in choice. And you can choose God's pathway and transformation because you're in Christ. So first, know yourself. Second, train hard. Train hard. 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. It says, Discipline yourself for the purpose of godliness. For bodily discipline is only of little profit, but godliness is profitable for all things, since it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Uh, Paul uses the word for discipline here. It's a Greek word, uh, gymnazo. We get the word gymnasium from this. He says, You want to be godly? then you have to get in the gym of godliness, so to speak. Okay, work out, train for godliness. Godliness happens through training. What does the training look like? I want you to turn to the book of 1 Corinthians, chapter 9, and verse 24. What does it look to train yourself unto godliness? Verse 24. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but only one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may win. Everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They then do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and I make it my slave So that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. And Paul is not talking here about losing his salvation. He's talking about pleasing God. So when I've run my whole race, I've lived my whole life, I want God to say to me, well done. So what do I do? So I discipline my body. Here here he uses a term. uh, He said, I buffet my body. Literally, I blacken my eye. If I'm running in a race, I don't run aimlessly, right? There, there's, there's a line on the track and I stay within the lines. In fact, what Paul has in mind here is the Isthmian Games. It was another set of games like the Olympic Games. It was just literally, it was right down the road from the city of Corinth. And so he uses this very vivid imagery in their minds. He says, how, how are you going to win? How are you going to receive that prize of the wreath? What well, you've got to discipline your body because your body is going to long for things that, that, are, that will destroy you. 
And so you have to have discipline or training of body and mind if you want to grab hold of that wreath and win the wreath. You have to box in such a way as you're just not beating the air, but you're bringing your entire being into submission to God and presenting yourself to God. This is so appropriate, right? We're in the middle of of the Olympics right now. Because those folks who are doing really crazy cool stuff, they didn't just show up, right? They didn't just go, hey, I'd like to sign up for the Olympics. Where do I, where do I sign, right? Last night, actually, um, my son pulled up a video and it was a comparison of gymnastics routines from 50 years ago to today. And I mean, I know this sounds really prideful, but some of the routines from 50 years ago, I could have done. No kidding. I mean, they're walking along balance beam and they go, I'm like, I can do that, right? I could do that. But gymnastics in particular really just blows me away. I mean, the stuff that they're doing, it's like flip, 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 boom. Like, wow, that's amazing. I mean, how do they, you know, and then that would would be so cool to hold myself on the, you know, the rings just like this. I'm just suspended and then go, oh man, those guys, they're amazing. And those women are just, I just, gymnastics just blows me away. They've been training their whole lives, right? You hear their their biographies, and they started gymnastics at three months, right? The parents roll them over, right? Roll them back. Oh, man, I see potential here. That's every, every, every exercise they've done, every, every piece of food that they've eaten, the, the coaches that they've chosen, everything is for this one goal. I, I, as I watch, I do think it'd be cool. I, I would love to have been in the Olympics. My goal my desire when I was a little kid is I want to be in the Olympics in ping pong. And I watch these guys and go, you know what? That'd be pretty cool if I could at least just get in a game. I just show up. Yeah, can I sign? Where do I sign up? Pretty good ping pong player. And, you know, I was JV doubles champion in tennis. Can I sign up for tennis? I'm not bad. How about sprinting? I'm, I'm pretty fast. It's funny. Somebody mentioned uh, earlier to me, said, wouldn't it be kind of interesting and helpful if they could put just like one of us on the track? with them. So you just get a frame of reference. <laughs> oh, you think you're fast in the 100, right? <sighs> okay, I got to stop at 50. These people are amazing. How is this possible? They trained for that moment. And so they make it look easy because they've been doing it their whole lives. Tim gets up here and he plays a worship song. He never misses a chord. How is that possible? Well, he didn't just learn the C chord this morning, right? He's been playing these songs and these chords thousands and thousands and thousands of times. Julie never misses a note on the keys. Why? Because she's trained for thousands and thousands and thousands of hours. My daughter loves dance, and especially in the last two years, she's gotten really serious, and she trains, and she trains, and she trains. She practices not just when she's in class. When she comes home, in particular, she stretches because she knew she needed to be more flexible, so she stretches and stretches, and, and it's amazing. A couple of years ago, she couldn't do the splits. Uh, two days ago, she said to me, she said, Dad, do you know what, what oversplits are? I think that was the term she used, what oversplits are. I have no idea what oversplits are. Like, splits are, are 180, right? Your legs are down here at 180. Over splits, your legs are past 180. I'm like, oh my gosh, that's me. She put her leg up on one thing, and I won't demonstrate here. <laughs> you know, and one leg's all the way up off the ground, and the other's on the ground. I mean, it's past 180. I should not try that. <laughs> you should not try that. There may be two or three of you 
who can do that because you've been training for it. The, the training God tells us about, it works because it's how God designed us. Okay? It's how God made us. That's why it works. The training is disciplines, spiritual disciplines. Sometimes they're disciplines we do alone. Silence and solitude. Listening for the voice of the Spirit in the Word. Memorizing, meditating, studying, thinking. Letting God's Word just wash over our minds. So that as we face new life situations, the way that we think about things has been changed. Because in those quiet moments, God's Word has changed us and transformed us. Learning to pray, to speak to God and to listen to God. Do you really know how to pray? Do you really know how to meditate on his scripture? Service. Finding out what God has made you to do and then going and doing that on behalf of others, even those who are not kind to you, who are not blessing you, but you're blessing them. So when you're in that moment of testing and someone is taking from you, your immediate response is to give because you know that you're a servant. So you give. You've been transformed by that training. Uh, Corporate disciplines where we gather together and we're studying the word together and we're listening to one another and we're humble enough to actually let one another speak into our lives where we we sing praises to God. We walk out of here and we're we're faced with another discouraging situation in life, but what have we been singing about? Well, we remember. It's It's fresh in our minds. God is great and God is good and God is in control. And he changes our natural responses as we celebrate, as we praise, as we worship, as we gather together, as we're silent alone, as we're serving. All of these things change us and transform us because when we're out in the world, in a sense, we're not in the training time, we're in that moment of testing. And that moment of testing reveals how good our training was. Did we let God change us? I love this statement by C.S. Lewis. He said, Surely what a man does when he has taken off his guard is the best evidence for what sort of man he is. If there are rats in a cellar, you are most likely to see them if you go in very suddenly. But the suddenness does not create the rats. It only prevents them from hiding. In the same way, the suddenness of the provocation does not make me ill-tempered. It only shows me what an ill-tempered man I already am. But if I've been disciplining myself for the purpose of godliness... And I would argue, men and women, we've been disciplining ourselves for the purpose of godliness. Together, our natural reactions will be changed. They will be transformed. Remember last week, Kevin talked about uh, angels. And in particular, there are angels that are fallen, led by Satan, the adversary. And the adversary's reason for existence now is to destroy you individually and to destroy us together. And so he wants to pull us apart and separate us and isolate us and he wants us to believe lies and not to allow God's spirit to transform and change the way that we think and feel and act. And so we have to come together and be together and listen to one another. And we have to be alone with God and his word and through prayer and meditation and let him transform us and change us because we're not who we should be and we're not who we could be and who we can be. And we want to be different. Well, let's let God change us. So I want to challenge you, uh, as we close in prayer, we'll take a few moments just quietly before the Lord, and I want to challenge you to ask God's Spirit to speak into your heart, and just to show you one area that God sees, maybe you don't see, or maybe you do, but one area in which you think God needs to change your character, change your responses, change the fruit that is emanating out of your heart. 
And then I want you to think of one practice you can do as the semester changes. We're coming up on a, a new semester. Just one practice you can do that allows God access to that part of your character. Right, let's take a few moments silently before the Lord and just let God's Spirit speak. And then I'll close this in prayer. Heavenly Father, we acknowledge that your Spirit has something to say that we need to hear. We pray that we would have the courage to listen to your voice to respond in, uh, in joyful obedience because you always want what's best for us. And you never harm us. You, you just choose, Father, to act in our lives in ways that draw us closer to you because that's what we need. And I pray, Father, even uh, this morning that we would listen again and with, with fresh ears we would respond and that we would see, maybe in small ways, maybe in large ways, but we would see your spirit molding us more and more and more into the very image of Christ. We'd see our our natural reactions beginning to change as you change the way that we think and feel and what we love. Father, I thank you that you are relentless in your pursuit of us and your desire to change us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, let me remind you as we end, uh, there are always folks who are up here at front. If there's up here in the front after service, if you'd like someone to pray with you and for you for anything in your life or you need some information about how to really get plugged in at Grace, they can help you with that, or folks in the Welcome Center can help you as well. Okay, God bless you. We'll see you next week.